Well, welcome everybody to this uh, Palm Sunday, and it's like, oh my goodness, Easter is just next week. And, uh, you know, for some of you, you know, younger folks, you're just saying, oh my goodness, it's about time. Um, But for me, it's like, where did this time go? You know, it just seemed like it just crept up on us. And we just finished our um, series in the book of Ruth. And I hope you enjoyed it as thoroughly as I did. Because, you know, in Ruth, we could see God working behind the scenes for the good of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and also for the nation of Israel. Because at the time, remember when we started, it was a time of the judges, when the judges ruled. And probably the judge that you probably know the most is, you know, Samson. But it was also a time of great evil in Israel, where everyone did as they saw fit. They didn't have this, you know, Joshua had died. They didn't have this one leader to bring them together, to point them towards God. You know, so they were operating, you know, as different groups, as different tribes. And there was great evil during the time of Ruth. And we see in chapter 1 how um, God um, devastates Naomi and she loses her husband and her two sons. And back in those days, if you didn't have any males in your family, you were destitute. You had no hope. But we see God working behind the scenes, providing for Naomi and Ruth by allowing Ruth to pick leftover grain in the field of Naomi's relative, Boaz. And then we see chapter 3 where Ruth proposes to Boaz. And Boaz shows his integrity about revealing that, you know what? Yeah, I would love to marry you. Thank you so much for this honor. But you know what? There's somebody who has a stronger claim to Naomi's land in you than I do. And let me go and talk to that person first. And then we see in Ruth chapter 4 where that redeemer, that guardian redeemer says, you know what? I can't redeem the land. Because it, what? it would include Ruth. And by acquiring Ruth, that might mess up my the inheritance or the trust of my children. So he said, Boaz, you could take the land and you could have Ruth as your wife. And we see Naomi and Ruth going from a time of being destitute of no hope to Ruth having, getting married and bearing the son who was the father of King David. What a wonderful story, right? Chapter 1 was a total hopeless mess, but we see God working behind the scenes, creating or causing a chain of events that ended up in good results or blessings for Naomi and Ruth, right? And so the theme was God is working behind the scenes, right? But how about when we are confronted with evil? Is God still working behind the scenes? Because in Ruth, we saw a chain of good blessings that God caused. And from Ruth 1 to chapter 4, we're saying, oh, praise God, right? But what about evil? And as um, Kiki prayed um, this um, morning, just before I got up here, is what do we make of these Nashville shootings, right? And they're so often right now. And to be honest with you, I'm starting to shift my prayers. Well, yes, I ask God, please do something about it. But I'm starting to be convinced that the only hope for this world is when Jesus comes back again and he sets things right. So every day I am praying for the return of Jesus. Because as I see things unfolding, as I see scripture, you know, things are supposed to get worse, right? 
And Jesus is the only hope for this world. And so every day now I'm praying, Jesus, come back. We need you now. Our, our politicians aren't going to save us. Our government isn't going to save us. Jesus is the only hope for this world. And so that's what I'm praying. But once again, you know, I see people here of all ages. And throughout life, we are going to be confronted with evil. Bad things are going to happen to us. And we may ask, you know, God, where are you when these things happen? And that's what we're going to talk about today, that God is working behind the scenes, even using evil. Our sovereign God is orchestrating evil for good. And this is where we could have hope, because we know that bad things are going to happen to us. The Bible never, ever promises that we will escape bad things in our life. However, it does promise that God is behind the scenes orchestrating evil for his good and righteous plan for us. So we saw in Ruth how God orchestrated a chain of blessings to result in um, this marvelous blessing for the family. But today we're going to see that God too, yes, is working behind the scenes and he uses evil to accomplish his plans. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to John chapter 12? Verse 12, John 12, verse 12. And this is what the apostle writes. The next day a great crowd had come for the festival, (coughs) heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And this is what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus goes from Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. People find out about that. They bring their palm branches forward. They put out their cloaks. And Jesus comes riding in on a a donkey. And people are all hailing him as the King of Israel. Right? And so how does this happen? Right? Because when you think about it, within a week, these same people who are, you know, praising him as the king of Israel, they are the ones shouting, crucify him to Pilate. So how do you go from Palm Sunday to Jesus being standing before Pilate and these same people are saying, crucify him? Well, it's because of hearts of evil men the religious leaders. And so in order for us to kind of understand that, let's go back a few, let's go back to, well, you know, one chapter to chapter um, 11, starting with verse 45. It says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Well, what did they see happen? Well, we see that, you know, Jesus, um, Mary, uh, Martha and Mary had a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick, and, and people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. You need to get over there. But Jesus knew that, um, he prob- uh, that he was probably already dead, right? And he told people, he goes, no, I'm not going to go there. And so he waited before he went over there. He didn't go right away. And so it was four, you know, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So Jesus arrives, right? And people said, Jesus, if only you were here earlier, But the reason Jesus waited four days is he wanted to make sure that everybody knew 
that Lazarus was dead. He's not in a coma. You know, he, he is um, biologically dead. And even when he went to roll the stone, they said, oh, don't roll the stone. It's going to smell really bad. So even the people knew in their hearts that Lazarus was dead. And what did Jesus do? He goes there and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And when people saw this, it says what? They believed in Jesus, right? But also we see in verse 46, it says, but uh, some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Uh, so there were some people there with, with evil intent in their heart, and they went and talked to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders who already didn't like Jesus, they were saying, what are we going to do? This guy just raised somebody from the dead. How do we oppose that? You know, what do we do with this? It says, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So now these guys with evil hearts, these are the religious leaders, had evil hearts saying that, man, he just raised this guy from the dead. How do we deal with this? And now this man that we've been trying, that we've been fighting his old, the past three years, you know, he's going to gain popularity, unprecedented popularity. What are we going to do about it? And he says, soon the Roman army will come and destroy our temple and nation because the Romans were cruel. And Pontius Pilate did not allow any uprising in his, you know, area. And so they said, look, man, if we have this uprising, they're going to come in and they're going to destroy our temple and our nation. And so what they were saying is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were both religious leaders at the time, they saw Jesus as a threat to their way of life. Because the Pharisees, they were the teachers of the law. They were the ones that made sure that the law was interpreted correctly and that people were following the law. Now, it says the Sadducees were also a part of this religious leaders, and they were more of the political um, leaders. They were the uh, wealthy. They were the ones who... Um, had close relationships with the Roman um, Empire. And so they weren't really much that, couldn't care less about the religious part of um, the nation of Israel. They wanted to make sure that, hey, their lifestyle and their connections gave them, you know, the comfort that they wanted. So you had these two groups, right? And so um, they saw um, the Roman, Jesus as the threat, they said that going, the Roman army is going to destroy our temple. And that was their source of power and control. They used religion. They used the law not to help people live righteously. They used it as a source of their power, and they used it as a source of controlling people. And then they said the Romans is going to destroy our nation, which is our home. You know, this is our livelihood. This is where we live. You know, we can't have that. So what were these religious leaders like? Well, we see this in Matthew 23, 2. And it says, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. And that's what they did. They interpreted the law. 
Okay, to say, okay, guys, this is what the law says. This is how we should live. It says, but Jesus says this, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but do not follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. He said, Jesus is saying, you know, the law is good. The, the way they are interpreting the law to live a, a life of righteousness, that's correct. Listen to them, but then do not do what they do. And Jesus is saying, um, do as they say, but not as they do. Why? Because there was a difference, a gap between how they understood the law and how they lived their life. You know, isn't that like us sometimes? We know what Scripture says. We know what the Bible says. But there's this gap between how we live out our faith. And I've even come up here and said, okay, guys, you know what? I know what the Bible says is true, but right now I'm struggling with this. And I've even had to say, do as I say, not as I do. Because sometimes it's hard to follow Scripture, and sometimes we fall. We all do that, right? But then these guys made a living of that. Okay, these guys made a living of that. Because Jesus says, um, they, meaning the religious leaders, crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear their robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues or church. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplace and to be called rabbi or teacher. So we see that, yes, these were interpreters of the law, and they interpreted it correctly. However, they were self-centered, and they had an individual agenda. They, couldn't, they really didn't care about the, you know, the God's agenda. All they cared about was themselves. They looked great on the outside. They had these prayer boxes on their shoulders, right? They had these nice-looking robes. So on the outside, they looked very religious, you know, but when they would go to the banquet, they would always sit at the seat of honor. And they loved when people praised them. They were just in it for themselves. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says what? Seek what? The first, the kingdom of God. Then all these things will come to you. They had a, a huge case of a self-identity crisis right? They had a huge case of poor self-esteem. They needed other people to esteem them. And this is a problem when we need people to esteem us. When we are looking for people to make us feel good about ourselves, this is what happens. Because then our focus is what? On ourselves. And then the way we feel about ourselves is only as good as our last compliment, Right? How many times have we gotten, I mean, I, I'm like that too. Well, I get a lot of compliments, right? And so let's say I get 15, and then I get one criticism, one complaint. What do you think I remember? The complaint. <laughs> the, all of the other things I forget about. But I think that's just like us too. And if we use other people for our self-esteem, 
to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, it's only as good as the next criticism or the next complaint. It could be coming from our friends. It could come from our school. It could come from our parents or siblings or whatnot. This is why Jesus says, what? Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. If only the Pharisees and teachers of the law adhered to that, they would be much different. But you know what? (laughs) we're, We're just the same, right? Aren't we? And so what does Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom. And so this is what we need to do so we don't become like they do. So we don't say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right? Where things, materialism, or people do not define who we are. God defines who we are. And that's what's important. Then uh, Caiaphas, who's uh, John, I mean, verse 49, Caiaphas, who was a priest, high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. So he's seen Caiaphas, he's the head of this religious group, right? He's the president. And he's watching these, his people freaking out. They're saying, what are we going to do about this guy? He's, he just raised somebody from the dead. And Ky- the leader said, hey, guys, hey, he's bad. He goes, you don't even know what you're talking about. He says, you don't realize it is better for you that one man should die for the people uh, for the people than for the whole nation to be stro- destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As a high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. Okay. Now, when you first read this, you say, okay, here's a godly man. He's prophesying. He said, you know what, guys? Yes, this Jesus is doing all of these things. But you know what? It's better for one man to die for the good of the nation, right? But God was using him and his evil plan. He had no idea. He didn't, number one, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, right? This was an evil plan that he knew had to happen. And so what, do you, what he's saying is, okay, the Roman army is going to come and it's going to destroy our temple and our nation. But he said, come on, guys. It's better if we kill Jesus because he's only one man. Isn't it better that we kill one person than to have our temple, our way of life destroyed? That's really what he was saying here. He was not, pro- God was using the, uh, the words that were coming out of his mouth, but in his heart, he was devising an evil plan to kill Jesus. But he says, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. He had no clue what he was saying. That was God's plan all along. Here he was saying, we need to kill this guy. But then he didn't realize that he was saying, you know, if we kill this one guy, it's going to benefit the entire world. It's going to benefit our entire nation. It's going to bring everybody together, right? And that's God's plan, that he was going to use the death of Jesus, what? To reach not only the Jews that were scattered all over the place, but to reach the Gentiles, to reach the entire world, to unite them under his kingdom. And that's God's plan. But what was the high priest's plan? It was evil. It was evil. He wanted to kill Jesus. So we see from 
and verse 53. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. And they kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, well, what do you think? He won't come to Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Okay? Once again, we see God working behind the scenes through this evil leader, of the religious people who plotted to kill Jesus. So what? That his life, the temple, the, way, the, the place where this, that was a symbol of the control and power would stay intact as well as their nation. So he said, let's kill this guy to prevent this. However, God has another interpretation of this man's words, which was true that Jesus would come to die for everyone to give eternal life, right? And this is my one point. It says, God sovereignly works behind the scenes using evil for his glory and good. This is a true statement that none of us like to experience. You know, I don't like to experience this. But what this does, it gives us hope when bad things happen to us, and they will. And they will. But this is we give our hope that God sovereignly works behind the scenes using evil for his glory and our good, right? And so, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, you know, if God is so powerful, why does he allow evil, right? Why doesn't he just take care of evil, right? Is, you know, is God the source of evil? And James 1.3 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the source of evil. Right? And in 1 John 1.5, it says, This is a message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no dark, and, and there is no darkness in him at all. God is righteous. God is holy. There is no, not even a speck of evil in God. Therefore, God is not the source of evil, and God did not create evil. Where did evil come from? Well, it came from us as a result of the free will that God gave us, right? However, God is victorious over evil. In Genesis fifty twenty. 20, um, Moses writes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So what's he saying here? Remember, this is the story of Joseph, right? Where Joseph, you know, was Jacob's son, and Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. So what did they do? They sold him into slavery. So Joseph gets taken to Egypt. And then what? He's accused of... Um, sexually um, 
raping um, Potiphar, his boss's wife. He didn't do that. He would, I mean, this was false charges. So what? He was thrown in jail, right? And so here, all of a sudden, this guy who's not doing anything wrong was sold into slavery, sold to, uh, you know, taken to Egypt. Now he's in jail. But it was during in jail when he was what? God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And not only did he interpret dreams, he interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh's dreams. And because he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh made him second in command. Now remember there was a famine that was going on. So Joseph and his brothers had to come to Egypt in order to get food. They had no idea they were seeing Joseph. And so when Joseph revealed himself, what did they do? They freaked out. Because they said, man, this is the number two guy in all of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. He could have us executed just like that. But what did Joseph say? You guys sold me into slavery. You guys wanted to harm me. You guys wanted me dead. That was your plan. But what does he say? God intended it for good. So what? So that he brought me into this position so I could save the lives of many people. Isn't that true of what Jesus did? Joseph was written, uh, rose to that position and God allowed him to go there through the intent of evil people so he could what? Save his brothers and his family to provide them food. And that's the same thing with evil. God is victorious over evil. God uses the intentions of evil people. But as Joseph said, God, caused, God intended it for good. It says, evil in itself is not good, yet he, ordain, he ordains evil and uses the evil actions of humans to bring about great good for his children. Now, don't get me wrong. Evil is painful. And if you've ever, ever been on the other side of somebody doing harm to you or somebody doing evil to you, it's a painful experience. It really is. See, God is not pleased with evil in and of itself, but he does govern it for the greater good, and that's important. God does not cause evil. God did not create evil. God is not the source of evil, but he does it to bring about the greater, about greater good. You know, Romans 8.28, if you could see that. And, we, and this is the most powerful verse that I hope you all memorize this. When things are not going the way you think they're going, when people are harming you, when people are doing bad things to you, this is probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible for you to know, right? And it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it says all things. In Ruth, we saw God using these pleasant things to bring about blessings to what? Um, Ruth and Naomi, right? But it says all things, and that includes evil. God is orchestrating. God is sovereign. He control, even though he doesn't cause it, he is sovereignly controlling evil for our good. This is why we could say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on our own understanding and all the ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. This is why we could trust God right there. When things are good, praise God, we could trust him. 
when evil is being thrust upon us. That verse still applies. Yeah, I know it's hard. You know, I mean, when I looked at that verse and I'm going through some tough times, it's hard. And it's a process. But this is a verse that's going to help you through this. God is victorious. And one day, one day, evil will be vanquished for all time. But God uses the hearts and plans of evil men, the religious leaders, to change the crowd from praising God on, praising Jesus rather, on Palm Sunday to saying crucify him within a week. But we know that God used the crucifixion and the resurrection for the greatest good that could ever come to mankind. Now, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are sovereign God and there is no plan that, you could, that could be thwarted, that evil cannot change your plans. Father, that you actually control evil for our good. And Father, there might be some right now who are experiencing that where people have done harm to them. Father, I pray that as they process this, as they are hurting, Father, that you would begin the healing process, that you, they would be reminded over and over and over again that you cause all things to work together for good. They may not believe it now, and they may not even experience now, but Father, may you constantly remind this them of this promise that you've given all of us. And Father, we thank you so much for your sovereignty that you use the evil plans of men to bring about the greatest blessing in the history of this world. And Father, as we move into that the Easter week, our Holy Week this week. Father, may we be reminded of that. Father, may we be reminded that our significance comes from you. Man, that you loved us. You loved us so much that you were able to die for us. Father, may we seek your kingdom first in all that we do so that we might experience your presence in our lives. And as hard as it was for you to see the events of next weekend to happen, Lord, we just thank you that you had our ultimate good in mind when you saw your son being beaten, spat upon, and nailed to the cross. In your son's name we pray, amen.